chapter 10. I really wanted to preach a light, happy, rejoicing message tonight. Coming home and, well, I'm not. So, all right. We're going to be a little heavy tonight. I hope that's all right. I hope to help you out tonight. I'm looking to help you tonight, though. And what I like about the meeting there in in Littleton especially is uh, I like Brother Lord. I like the guys in his church. He's got some great men, by the way, in that church. He's got some some stalwart men that have been there a while, great pillars. They're great guys. Uh, They're encouraging him and strengthening him, and they were an encouragement to me. But I like that meeting because he has two pastors come in every time. He doesn't have, you know, the evangelist come in or anything like that. It's, It's pastors. He always has me. Uh, and then another pastor. And so uh, that, that gives a unique look for his church to see because we don't see things just as these little one-week meetings and we just go jumping and jumping. Uh, and so they got a lot, of, a lot of different messages, but a lot of help, I think. And so I thank you for letting me go and uh, help letting me be a blessing. And the guys all filling in, Pastor and Pastor Thomas and Brother James and uh, guys just filling in and, and helping out, so that was a blessing. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse number, oh, verse number 1, we'll just start there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you, but I beseech you, that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Uh, now we know this passage, this church knows this passage rather well. We've got lots of messages between uh, Pastor Legos, myself, some of the other guys, Brother Larry over there with Hope, and this passage is used repeatedly. Uh, we can get into some real deep things in this passage. Uh, you get talking about spiritual warfare and uh, the walk that we have and the life that we have. We understand we're in a warfare. Uh, whether you want to be in a warfare or not, the warfare is raging. Uh, there, there, is no, there is no sideline where you don't have to be in it. Uh, this war started long before any of us were here. In fact, it was, it was started long before uh, any human being was here. Uh, God versus Satan started when Lucifer decided he was going to rebel against the God of the universe. And that warfare began. And since that has started, mankind has become sort of the central point of the fight between the two, and you and I are in this warfare. Uh, We're in this warfare whether we know it, we're in this warfare whether we acknowledge it, we're in this warfare whether we like it, it doesn't make a difference. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or you want to ignore it, it makes no difference. We're all in this fight. Saved or lost, we're in this fight. Now, you and I are, are dealing with those things and the spiritual fight, and we can understand more of it because the Holy Spirit opens up and we get to see the things that they don't see. A lost world doesn't see a lot of what is happening. They don't understand it uh, because it's foolishness onto them. 
neither can he know them because it's spiritually discerned. They have no discernment for what is happening. And so what happens to us, though, is we get real complicated. Uh, we start breaking down the warfare. We start trying to make it more and more and more. And, and you know, it's true. It is complicated. Warfare is complicated. Uh, it's not an easy thing. But I think the problem we have is sometimes we get overly complicated. Have you ever had somebody try to explain something to you and they use so much detail that you got lost in the details, right? They get, they get explaining down to the letter of everything and you're like, can you just give me the nuts and bolts and make this easy on me? Because that's too much, right? It's far too much information. We don't like to have too much information on some levels because when you do, you start losing understanding because you don't have all the, you know, we can, you go into your, I had, uh, I had x-rays done on my chest uh, after the car accident. They did x-rays and uh, they wanted to make sure I didn't break any ribs or anything. And uh, I, I got the report, you know, I got my, the my chart, I pulled it up. The doctor hadn't even called me yet. I just knew it was there. So I pulled it up and I looked at it and I read it and I figured out that my ribs were not broken. And then there was this section in there, and I, I screenshotted it, and I sent it to Melanie, who, you know, of course, nursing, everything. I sent it to her, and I said, I don't know what half of this means. And she replied, I don't really know what half of that means. So she talked to Mike Legault, and Mike Legault said, I think that's what that means. And so we all talked about, and it was just, you know, some swelling on that side of my, on the right side of my rib cage, and it was pushing things around and making things look out of place. That was all it was, but they had all these crazy words. And you're like, I don't know what any of that means. And you can look them up, and they still don't tell you what it means. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you look up the word firmament. It was there when it was there because it was misty. Like, you're like, what? I don't understand that. You're like, you have no idea what anything means because they want to complicate. You get complicated, you know what happens? You get confused, and it does not help you in your warfare. Uh, God doesn't want you confused. All right, and so I think we can do something, I hope tonight, uh, I preached this a long time ago, kind of retooled it again, but uh, I think this will help you maybe think about this warfare in a much simpler mindset. And if, if we could get these three pieces, I think it'd help us to keep things as simple as we can tonight and not complicate us into the idea of us going and parsing little pieces. You know, you get those things all parsed down and... You know, we had these guys, I'll get to my message in a second, right? You had these guys, I had two guys I worked with at Ken's Electric down in Florida, and both PBI students, you know, two guys, they were good guys, and they were literally arguing on a job site. One is yelling, it's believe in, and the other one is yelling, it's believe on, and they're arguing, and I'm like, you got to be two of the dumbest people I know. Like, what is wrong with you? And I, I quickly, uh, you know, there was, there was some stuff there. And I said, hey, that lumber right there, uh, go ahead and sit, sit on that. And one of the guys sat down and I said, are you sitting, if that was a chair, are you sitting in the chair or on the chair? And there was silence. Because he was trying to figure out how to argue his case. And I said, it's the same thing. Stop it. You're parsing down to too far. You're, you're making no sense because you're trying to break it down so far so you can understand all of the great intricacies of the salvation that you got. And the truth is, your salvation was pretty simple, wasn't it? You start breaking that down too far, you know what you'll get? You'll get into some weird doctrines. 
They'll start putting you in some weird places because you start breaking that down too far. You start going, well, did God figure out before I figured out that I was going to get saved? Did he know? And then you get into Calvinism, right? And then you go, well, you know, was it, was it the prayer or was it when I believed? Or was... You start breaking that stuff down. You, you'll mess yourself all up trying to break that stuff down. You say, when does somebody get saved? When they believed. But their belief brings about an action. That's faith. And the action is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. This is not hard to figure out, but the answer is very simple. You got saved when you believed. And you called upon Him because you believed. That's not difficult. But people go, oh, we've got to make it complicated. You don't have to make things complicated. Instead, if we handle our spiritual warfare in a much simpler mindset, we won't have as many problems. Well, you say, what are you talking about? Well, let, we'll take a look at what I'm talking about. Let's have a word of prayer, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get somewhere tonight. Lord, I do pray you would bless the Word of God as it's preached. Father, help me to have wisdom as I speak. This is not a, an easier or necessarily a normal topic, but Father, I do pray you would help me uh, to say it in a way, Lord, that can be easily understood and help us, Father, to uh, simply and easily, Lord, understand the warfare that we're in and understand how we can have some great victory within that warfare. And Father, I do pray you'd, you'd be praised, honored, and glorified. I don't believe anybody here is lost, but Father, if they've never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray you'd open their eyes to the salvation that was provided by Jesus Christ alone, and they'd call upon Him tonight. Father, for those of us who are saved, Lord, we're in warfare. I pray you'd help us to war a good warfare and finish our course well. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd get the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me over to Matthew chapter 26. Now, uh, Matthew chapter 26. And the Apostle Paul back there in, uh, in Corinthians, he made that statement, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, it's interesting that he uses that. He uses the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And then he's going to tell them we're going to fight in a war. Isn't that strange? That seems a little backwards. Don't you think warfare, you think uh, courage, boldness, strength, power. And he says, no, no, no. We're going to go meekness and gentleness. That is the opposite of the warfare you and I think of when we think of warfare. And so tonight we're going to look at Jesus Christ and his thoughts, ultimately, that you can see on warfare. And what he did when he was attacked. When he was under some pressure. And so Matthew chapter 26, look at verse number 51. You know what's happening here, right? Matthew chapter 26 is the chapter when they come and he is in the garden of Gethsemane and he has them tarry here and he goes and he prays and he's wrestling in prayer at that particular moment and he is of course, resigning his will to the will of the Father while Judas is off betraying him. And Judas comes right with his band of men. And in verse number 51, And behold, one of them that were with Jesus, we know that's Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father? And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. 
But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled thus that thus it must be? Now Jesus is about to, he's in a literal fight right here. But we all know that it's really a spiritual fight. Right? This is the question of him going to the cross. This is the question of him laying down his life a ransom for many. This is Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world. This is, Jesus, this is right here. This is where it's going to start. And he's in the garden. They have come. And Peter grabs the sword and he swipes off somebody's ear. And he's ready to go. And Jesus goes, put that away. Put it away. He says, don't you know what I could do? I got 12 legions of angels at my disposal. I can wipe the face of the planet clean of life if I want to. You say, what, what do we recognize here? Well, we must realize that we are in a warfare. The first thing we have to do, let's keep it simple. The first thing we have to do is realize there is a war happening. And the war is not your little picture. Peter's looking little picture. Don't take my guy. <laughs> That's my friend. That's my leader. That's my master. That's the one that I'm following. That's the Christ, the son of the living God. You can go ahead. But Peter's going, you're not taking him. I'm going to fight. What's Jesus' reply? Well, these things must. That the scripture must be fulfilled. What is that? God has a plan, Peter. So you know what you have to realize? That the war that you are in is not you. The war that you are in is God's. His picture is way bigger than your picture. His view is long view. I mean, his view is so long he gets to eternity. All right? You and I can't see five minutes down the road. God is looking all the way out past into eternity. When he removes all of time, he's got this thing laid out so beautifully and so masterfully, and you and I are in it. <laughs> but we aren't it. It's his picture. It's his plan. It's how he wants things to play out. We look at the warfare and we go, well, that person did that against me. No, no, no. That's all part of a warfare. Big picture. Jesus Christ, think about it this way. John chapter 2, Jesus Christ goes and he's at, he's at the wedding of Cana, right? And his mother comes and says, uh, hey, they need wine. And that's new wine, you can ask Brother James later, he'll answer all that. I'll take you all the references, he's got it all cleaned up. Um, and he's, he says, uh, she says, hey, they don't have any wine. And he says, woman... Mine hour has not yet come. What is he talking about? Well, he's obviously not talking about doing a miracle. He's about to do a miracle. He does it. Fill the water pots. Do whatever he tells you to do. They start filling water pots. He starts doing They bring it out, and he does his thing, and it's amazing. So what's he thinking about? He's not thinking about wine. He's thinking about the blood that he's about to shed at Calvary in a few years. He's got three years plus waiting, and he goes, it's not time yet. We can't do that. He's always looking at the end game. He's always looking at the big picture. How many times did he tell his disciples, no, 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 don't, 
I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, how many times did he try to get them to see the crucifixion? How many times did he get to see the resurrection? How many times did he get them to try and see what he was talking about? Hey, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, and they're all worried about the bread that's in front. He's like, no, stop it. Stop looking at this stuff. Look big picture, guys. You've got to start broadening your vision from just you. It's not about you. Jesus Christ is going, it's not about me right now. It's about what I have to do, but it's not about me. It's about the goal that I'm about to get to. It's not about me because the goal that I have is the plan that God gave me. It's not about me. When we start getting about us, what happens? We're looking at us. You know what we're not looking at? We're not looking at the big picture because we're not looking at him. Peter's walking on water for a second, but when he sees the wind and he looks away, it's all trouble. We get our eyes out of focus because we stop looking at the bigger picture. You say, what's the big picture? Ultimately, you know what our big picture is? There's a world full of lost people. And they don't have a Savior because they haven't trusted Him yet. But He wants to be their Savior. He wants to save to the uttermost. And He'll go ahead and save them if they'd be willing. And the devil's job is what? To blind all those people. And you know what his job is? To distract you from doing anything for it. Stop you from saying anything, stop you from living right, stop you from doing right, stop you, get you agitated, get you aggravated, get you in the place where you have no focus on the soul that is in front of you and instead you are focused on you and what you have going on. Get you upset and get you bitter and get you angry and get you frustrated and get you, and he's looking at you and you know what he's doing? The devil's just playing all the games so that he can make sure that you are taken out of the big picture and into your little picture. And as long as we stay in that little picture, we will be useless. Because it'll be all about our hurts. It'll be all about the pain we're going through in our war. We all suffer. We all have things. I heard a, I heard a message while I was gone. It was real good. And you know what it was? It was everybody's got issues. Everybody's got issues. There's always something wrong with you, right? I mean, we, we aren't doing everything right. We're doing something that isn't right, and we're doing it, and sometimes we're doing really well at keeping that at bay, and some days we don't, right? We got issues. We all got issues. Well, you know what? You want to focus on your issues? You know what you'll be? You'll be useless because you're not seeing a big picture. Jesus Christ is about to be taken, right? He's arrested here in this chapter. He is taken before the priest. He's taken in front of Pilate. He's taken across. He's, and what do they do? Well, they beat him, and they whip him, and they mock him. They make fun of him. They, they just beat on him for a while and then say, hey, you know, who hit you? Prophesy who hit you. You're some great prophet. Go ahead and tell us. Couldn't he tell them? Name, rank, serial number. That's what he would have done. But instead, he says, a lamb before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. They do what? Big picture. Don't you know who I am? That's your answer. Jesus' answer is, I'm meek and lowly in heart. The meekness and the gentleness of Christ. So what does that mean? That means the big picture. I'll, I'll submit to the will of the Father. Because I'm in a warfare, I can't 
step outside of my orders. It's his big picture, not mine. We often are living in our little picture. We get sucked down into that little picture and we go, well, my life, and we get overwhelmed with our life. We get overwhelmed with our circumstances. We get overwhelmed, and then we wonder why we struggle with so many things in our life. Why we're not getting victory, why we're not seeing the Lord do something, why we're not having, and why we're so frustrated all the time. You ever been frustrated? It's just me living frustrated half the time, right? Why are we frustrated? Because I'm not getting my way. Because things aren't going my way. Because it's not easy for me. And the big picture is, what's God got happening? What do we have going on? If it's the chastening of the Lord, okay, well, I can fix that. If it's the devil fighting against me so that I don't be a good witness, then I can do something about that too. I can, I can keep my mind in the right spot. I can remember this is a warfare. I don't have to let everybody else take my peace. I don't have to let everybody else take my testimony. I don't have to let everybody else win and have the devil get a victory. Why? Because it's big picture. What does God want from you day in and day out? How are you giving him glory day in and day out? Why is it that we're so frustrated and so put down and so just miffed at the day going, what is wrong? Because your eyes are so focused down here that his big picture is lost. We're in a warfare and it's not about us. It's about his victory. It's about his warfare. So what is happening around you? That's part of what you need to start understanding is that, hey, this isn't about me and, you know, Brother Jared having it, having it out and having an argument. This is, that's not what the problem is. You say, what's the problem? That the devil wants division. And God wants how good and how pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. Brother Jared and I have never had an argument, I don't think, yet. We probably will eventually, but not, not thus far. He hasn't joined yet, so he's trying to stay on my good side, you know. Um, after next Sunday, we'll get that, you know. Um, no. And, and you know what it is? It's that big picture. We go, well, you know, they have a problem with me. No, no, the devil's just trying to get a problem in there. He, he's fighting. He's fighting and he's trying to figure out a way. And if he can get you to quit looking up and get you to look down, then he'll gladly take it. So you got to remember, it's war. It's a warfare and you're in it. And the things around you aren't just about you. All the pieces and all the players are not about you. Contrary to what the world tells you, everything is not about you. It's just not. Everything is about two parties at war. And you and I are just in the war. So what are they trying to, to accomplish? The devil has a will he's trying to accomplish. God has a will he wants accomplished. Now we know if God wants to, he just wipes the whole field out. All right? Second advent. Right? I mean, when he wants to, he clears the players. That's all he does. But right now, he's just working through the hearts of men. And he wants to use us. So we have to recognize, hey, I'm in a war. What's my role in the war? What am I supposed to be doing? 
And if I'm supposed to be accomplishing that goal, then obviously I will receive opposition to that goal. And if I receive opposition to that goal, I need to respond biblically. Well, that's the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Look over at John chapter 19. You know what helps with that? John chapter 19 helps with that. We must realize that we are in a war. And then secondly, John chapter 19. Jesus before Pilate, of course. John chapter 19, verse number 10. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Say, what are these people doing? What's Jesus doing? You know what he's realized? You know what he wants people to realize? Guess what? Other people have no idea they're in a war. You really think that the Jews that day that are crying out, crucify him, crucify him, you really think Pilate has any idea of really what's about to happen? You really think that these people understand that they are about to kill the Son of God, dying for their transgressions and their sins? They have no idea what's happening. And you know what helps us? It helps to know other people have no idea. They have no clue. They don't know they're in a war. They don't know they're just a pawn in somebody's game. They have no clue what's happening in front of them. You're going through problems and you're going through troubles and you're going through trials and some of it's brought on because people have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of examples. You realize that you and I deal with more problems some days because people just have no clue. They have no clue. You ever work with somebody who has no clue, but they think they know? Right? They know everything about everything. And the reality is they know nothing about everything, right? I don't think they know anything about anything, all right? They've got nothing nailed down, right? And they're unwilling to admit that. But don't worry, they're going to go ahead. And what do they do? They oftentimes cause more problems on accident, than you probably would have on purpose. Like, you could purposely try to sabotage some things, and those guys come out, guns a-blazing, and you know what they do? They destroy everything. And you're like, how did you mess it up that bad? Like, I couldn't even have done that on purpose, man. What is wrong with you? What is your deal? They don't know. You look at their lives, and you know what you realize? They have no idea. If they knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew it. You realize, Peter, he can't even see it. Simon Peter is there with a sword in his hand. He still doesn't see it. Simon Peter's over by a fire. He still can't see it. Peter goes and weeps bitterly, and he still doesn't see it. He cannot see what God is doing. 
one of the apostles. He can't figure out what God's doing. He doesn't understand the warfare of what's happening. And Jesus has tried to show him over and over and over again. He just doesn't see it. Cannot see it. You ever do something, right? You, you know those weird uh, 3D image things? You know, you put it close to your face. You're supposed to slowly slide it away. And then the image pops to life. And, right? And until you see it, you don't see it, right? Until, until you finally get that thing to pop off the page, you don't see it. Look out and someone points something out to you. Oh, hey, you know. And until you see it, you don't see it. But also, you know what's amazing? When you do see it, it's awful hard not to see it. Isn't that amazing? But Pilate, he doesn't see it. He's going, don't you know I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? He has no power. Pilate's got nothing. All this is playing out because the word of God said so. Pilate, you are a pawn in this game right now. This is the way it's going to go. And Pilate, if you don't crucify me, Herod will have me crucified. But somebody's crucifying me. It doesn't make a difference. You don't have power to crucify me or release me. Because if you try to release me, I'm still going to get killed. This is time. Timetable's almost done. Pilate doesn't see it. He has no clue. The crowd doesn't know. They have no clue. They're crying out, you know, and they're later, right? He's at the crucifixion and the crowd's looking at him and saying, Hey, why don't you come down? If you're the Christ, why don't you come down? Well, he is the Christ. But if he comes, he's the Savior. If he comes down, it's all over with. The two malefactors, they have no idea either. When they get started, right? Hey, why don't you save thyself and us? Thief number two, you know what? He's pretty happy he didn't save himself. Right? That first guy, he's not going to repent. But that second guy, Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. You know what he's going? He's going, hey, remember me. When you die, remember me. When you get that kingdom, you remember me. Because if Jesus doesn't die, he saves no one. Oh, he'd have saved him for a moment and pulled him down off that cross for a minute. But he can't do both. He can't save that man and save himself. He certainly couldn't save you and I if he came down. He's like, you guys don't even know what you want. You know, the soldiers are standing there. You got the soldiers, they're, they're, they're beating him. They're whipping him. They're ripping his beard out. They're spitting in his face. They're throwing that robe on him. They're parading him around. They're plating that crown of thorns, jamming it down on his head, pounding it in place. They're going ahead and kneeling in front of him, making fun of him. Oh, yeah, you're the king. You're the king. And the whole time, you know what they're doing? Say, oh, that was just wicked. No, that was their job. That was their job. They were given orders, so they did their job. Oh, that was just mean and ruthless. No, that was just their job. Their job was horrible, but it was just their job. They don't have, what stake did they have in this? He's a common criminal to them. That's all he is. Oh, he's notarized and people know him and people think great of him and all this stuff. Yeah, but he's been delivered over and he's worthy of death. 
according to them. And so you know what? He's just another guy. Let's beat him up. Let's do our job. Pilate gave the order to bloody him up. Let's bloody him up. Let's go beat on him. And then he can turn him back over. Those soldiers have no clue the, the part they are playing. But you know what part they're playing? He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes. Were healed. They have no idea. They have no clue what they're doing. But God does. God knows the price that he needs to pay. And they don't get it. By the way, most of the time in your life, people don't get it. People don't get that they hurt you. People don't get what they said to you was bad. People don't understand how hurtful that was. People don't understand. They don't get it because they don't see a bigger picture. They don't know that they've upset you. They don't know how much it hurt you. They don't know all that stuff. All they know is they're going about their day doing what they do. So, well, it was malicious. So what? They don't understand it's part of a spiritual war. They have no clue that they're in a fight. Saved or lost, most of those people have no clue there's a war going on. They say the dumbest things, which is why it's the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I heard Brother Lord said this after one of the messages. I thought this was amazing. He said, hey, have you ever thanked the Lord when somebody said something or did something to you in the church that was hurtful and it hurt you, but you knew you weren't going anywhere? And it wouldn't put you out of church. And you'd get over it pretty quick. And although it hurt, you just went, Lord, thank you for letting that happen to me instead of somebody else who couldn't have handled that. I want you to know I got crushed right there. Lord, thank you for putting that on my shoulders. I'll take that reproach for today because you know I'm not leaving. I can forgive them. That's heavy, but that's spiritual warfare. I won't let the devil get in that way, Lord. I'll go ahead and I can. I'm just glad it didn't happen to somebody weaker. I'm not the strongest, but God, I'm glad I, I, I could handle that much. Thank you for helping me. But we don't look at it that way. We, don't look at, we go, they meant to hurt me. Most of the time they have no idea they're hurting. They have no idea. They just don't get it because they just can't see it. Lastly, look over at Luke chapter 23. You need to realize you are in a war. You also need to realize everybody else doesn't know it. Everybody else doesn't understand this moment. And so you're going to get hurt because they don't know. They don't understand they're holding on to a sword. <laughs> they don't understand they're holding on to a weapon. And they're swinging it around. You ever see somebody who has no idea what they're doing with any type of a weapon? That's scary, right? Whether it's a firearm or whether it is a sword or a knife or whatever. You know, you just watch, you watch some people just open a box with a pocket knife and you're like, whoa, you need to have that taken from you. 
you need child safety scissors or something, dude. You need to put that, right? That is scary because they don't know. And they don't even know they're doing it wrong. That's most of the world. That's most of Christianity. That's most people. They have no idea what they're doing. And they have no idea what damage they're, they're doing completely unaware of the ramifications of their decisions. And so here you are, Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Once you've realized that they don't know what they're doing, it's a whole lot easier to realize you need to forgive them. Now this right here is the key. This spot right here is key to the entire thing. You can recognize you are in a war and you can recognize other people don't know it. But if you don't realize that you need to forgive them, you will constantly be hurt in warfare and it will kill you. It will kill you. It will be the thing that finalizes what you deal with. You will leave church. People don't leave church over doctrine. They were secured in doctrine. They came. They joined. They wanted to be there. 99% of people do not leave over doctrine. They leave because of personal things. Because people are unwilling to forgive. You know what it takes to forgive? Meekness and gentleness. But people aren't willing to forgive. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Small picture. Well, they had to have known what they were doing. No, they probably didn't. They probably had no idea. And instead, you know what? They can't see it. But you can forgive them. We're going to go a couple places. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know the spot I'm going. None of this is a shocker of passages, all right? But I want you to look at them. Help you to see, hopefully. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, of course, 1 Corinthians, you have the man who was put out of the church and treated as a heathen, and now Paul is trying to get them to bring him back in, right? Because he is... Uh, repentant and he's going to bring him back in and he says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 10 to whom ye forgive anything I forgive also for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ that falls under forgiving as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan, one of Satan's favorite tools is unforgiveness. Just let it sit there, let it fester. Don't forgive them; they know what they did. And when they come and ask me, they probably they don't know. You ever have somebody come up to you? 
and apologize, and you're like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have that. I have that happen. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's already gone for me. Now, not every time. There's things, right, that are much harder to forgive. But some people, they come up. I've had somebody call me and say, hey, brother, I'm sorry. And I go, brother, I don't even know what you're talking about. But they recognized it. It took them a while. But you know what? You know what you get to do? You get to say, hey, I can forgive that. Even when they don't come up. They don't have to come up to you for you to let it go. You can let it go long before they ever have figured anything out. Why? Uh, you know, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiveness. You realize, I, I'm going to preach on this probably in a few weeks, uh, maybe next week, I don't know. Um, your salvation, we, we're condemned. The world is condemned. What is the condemnation of the world? Is it because they're just sinners? Is that, is that why they're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire? Or is it John chapter 3? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth not, there it is, is condemned already. Why? Because he's a big sinner. No, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Say, so what's the sin that sends somebody to hell for all of eternity? Rejecting Jesus. The price of redemption. Not receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're already forgiven of everything else, ultimately. It's already been paid. Now, their repentance and all those pieces, I understand that. But the truth is, the forgiveness is already extended. You're not waiting for God. When you got saved, you didn't come up to God and go, okay, God, I need to list every sin I've ever done to you. If you did, you'd have missed them. Instead, you're going, God, I know I messed up a ton back there. I don't know all of them. He goes, I know all of them. You go, okay, well, I know you died for all of them. He goes, absolutely. And so you go, I, all right, I, I want to trust Jesus because he died for me, right? Now, you say, what are you doing? The repentance is not a change of mind that necessarily all those things were bad. You knew all those things were bad before you did them. The law was written in your hearts. So when you turned, you didn't turn from my sins necessarily to my Savior. You turned from not trusting Jesus to trusting Jesus. The change of direction is anything over there versus Jesus. <laughs> and he didn't go, all right, well, let's see. Can I forgive you? Uh... He's like, no, no, that's already taken care of. We're good. That's all taken care of. The problem we have is I'm going to hold on to that. And if I hold on to it, it'll be better because I'll, I'll remember what they've done to me. 
Praise God Jesus doesn't remember what you've done to him. If he remembered what I did to him, could you imagine standing in front of him in a judgment seat of Christ and he remembered everything you've ever done and you're looking face to face at the one who gave his life for you and he remembered all the times you said and all the times you did and all the times you thought and all the times. And he goes, no, no, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's the way he forgives us. Say, but yeah, how could I ever? Here it is. All about you still. Say, what's the big picture? The big picture is the unity of the body. The big picture is, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Just in case that wasn't enough. We're going to go to Hebrews 12. I know I'm preaching long tonight. I'm going to wrap it up, I promise. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse number uh, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So what happens? You let on forgiveness, you hold on to that unforgiveness, and you hold on to that, you know what it does? It's the seed that turns into bitterness. Because you failed to be gracious. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. You don't have grace. You say, what does that mean? That means you weren't gentle and meek. You were ungracious. You didn't look at them and say, they just don't know what they're doing. I could be gracious about that. Ah, oh, they probably didn't mean it. They're probably having a bad day. They probably had some things happening. and I have no idea what's going on with them, but that's okay. I'll let it, just let it go. But instead, you get that little crawl in there and you just... Get the little bee in your bonnet and you get all the, you know, I just can't, I just can't let that go. Don't they know that I'm having a bad day today? Don't they know that they're pushing all the buttons? Don't they know that today just is not the day to do this? No, they don't know. Don't they know why they have to do all these things? Why? Why do they have to do that to me? Why do they have to say that? Why? Because they don't know. Well, they really had to show up right now. I don't want to deal with anybody right now. Because they know that you don't want to deal with anybody right now, obviously. So it's all that. That's all just you holding on to that bitterness and defiling everybody around you. Making everybody else miserable because you're miserable. Making everybody else walk on pins and needles and eggshells and all the things, and just because you can't get over whatever it is that's going on. And God's like, you're in a warfare. You know what I need? I need you to dwell in unity. I need you to be gracious with one another. I mean, especially of the household of faith. I mean, I got, you got to figure out how to go ahead and dwell peaceably. And part of that is be gracious. 
Have grace one to another. Don't hammer away because they made a mistake again. Don't hammer away just because, well, I don't feel great today and they should have known. They have no idea. They have no clue. They don't know what your morning was like. They don't know what happened this afternoon. They don't know what's going on. And normally, if they said, hey, how you doing? Your answer was, oh, I'm fine. The Baptist answer, I'm better than I deserve. But you don't really feel that way. If you felt better than you deserved, then you'd be walking on cloud nine. Instead, you're as grumpy and grouchy as can be. You don't feel better than you deserve. You think you deserve better than what you got. But you answer that way. Oh, I'm wonderful. No, you're not. You're lousy. Nobody wants to hear about it, but you're lousy. Right? That's the answer. Nobody wants to hear about it. Probably not. But you know what? Say, hey, I'm not doing the greatest today. Okay. I'll pray for you. Maybe that'll be their response. How about that? How about those with you? Oh, I know they're having a bad day. Now I know why. Because otherwise the devil gets to go ahead and let you have some evil surmisings about why that person is so grouchy to you all the time. Anyway, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, last spot. I really am going to stop preaching. I don't know when, but I'm going <laughs> to. I'm not, I'm not in an hour yet, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> you know this chapter. It's a very familiar chapter, right? This is the chapter on charity. The love of God. Love in action. Forgiveness demands, just the idea of forgiveness demands an aspect of love and care. It de- it de- that has to be part of it. Because if you don't love and care, then you don't forgive. That's why you don't forgive. You love yourself more than you love them. You love yourself more than you love what is happening. You love yourself more than all the circumstances. You love yourself more than the whole. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 4. I want you to think about unforgiveness and bitterness as we read through this spot right here. You tell me where that should fit in here. All right? Charity suffereth long and is kind. Well, that doesn't sound like unforgiveness and bitterness. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. I don't, I don't see any unforgiveness and bitterness there. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Oh. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. You mean like they just don't know? Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's spiritual warfare. That's spiritual warfare. The simplicity of spiritual warfare is if I remember that I'm in a fight that is bigger than me and is not ultimately about me, it's about what God wants to accomplish. All right, if I can handle that 
and I go, okay, I need God to get glory out of my life, then all these people around me, they don't realize that they're supposed to give God glory. They don't realize there's a bigger picture. They have no idea that whatever they're doing bumbling through their day does actually affect everybody around them, but they have no idea that that's part of a spiritual warfare that's been happening long before we ever showed up here. And so if they understand, if I understand that I'm in a war, I understand that they're not in a war, what I can do is when they do mess up, when they do hurt me, when I am injured, when things haven't gone my way, when things are just not working right, I can go, okay, I got to forgive them because they don't know. I can forgive their stupidity. (laughs) I can forgive them messing that up because they just don't know. Say, yeah, but I think they did know. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Go, hey, give them the benefit of the doubt. Of what? I mean, right then, somebody hurts you a lot of times. You know what you want? You want to call them an idiot, right? Am I the only one, right? You want to call them all sorts of names, right? How about this? They have no idea what they're doing. Guess what you did? You still got your insult in. They are, so, they are so out of tune with God, they don't even know what they're doing. That's pretty insulting still, whether they know it or not. They have no clue. And so you know what you can do? You can love them in meekness and in gentleness. You can go ahead and forgive them and say, I'm not letting the devil split some things up that don't need to be there. On, on needed divisions are what happens in faulty spiritual warfare. The divisions start happening. He, he's a divide, right? The devil's job is to seek and to kill and to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to steal your peace and your joy, your contentment with God, your peace with others. He wants to go ahead and destroy your family and your life and all the things. He wants to separate your friends and your family and you from church and everything else. He wants to destroy your life and make sure everything is in shambles so that you are never going to be a good witness for God and God can't get any glory out of what's happening. That's big picture. Big picture is I got to figure out how to keep my mind on Christ so that he can get all of the glory that I can possibly give him by not reacting to everything around me and instead try to keep loving, forgiving, being gracious, being merciful, trying to do things as Jesus Christ would have done them so that he can get all the glory out of what's happening. That's spiritual warfare. That's the simplest way I can put it. It is not about all the little pieces, although they're in there. And I'm not trying to demean that idea. But if we could get this part simply, maybe we can work on some of the intricacies. But I find that I struggle even with the simplicity. And Satan wants to do what? He wants to pull you out of the idea of the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Our salvation was simple and sometimes our walk can be a whole lot simpler than we make it. All right, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to stop. I don't know if there's somebody in here you need to forgive. Maybe there's somebody outside this room you need to forgive. Maybe somebody said something. Maybe I said something. I hope I didn't. Maybe you've been hanging on to some unforgiveness and that bitterness has been in there for a while and you need to take a moment and look inside and say, hey, guess what? I haven't been gracious. I haven't been merciful. I haven't been 
I have been unkind. And you need to go, God, I need to forgive them. You say, I'm not ready to forgive. Why not? Is it because you've forgotten how great God is to you and you could never forgive? Because No, you need to set that aside and understand that God wants you to forgive and the devil wants you to hold on to it. Our spiritual walk is the only way that a lost world can see us. It's the only way they can see Jesus Christ in us. To do things in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ gains our victories. The world goes, no, you need to fight and obtain. And God says, no, no. You let me take care of all that. You go ahead and be meek and, and gentle, be loving, forgiving, and kind. And that's not our reaction. That's not how we react. Instead, you know how we react? With violence. <laughs> we want to react and fight. God says, no, no, no. Forgive them. Because they have no idea what they're doing. Lord, I do pray you would bless the invitation. Work in hearts. Father, I pray you would help us to be forgiving. Lord, maybe the people in here, maybe, Father, those that are in their seats, maybe they don't have anything. Lord, I pray you'd keep us from it. Protect us from that unforgiveness and that bitterness and the things that are, Father, internal in this spiritual walk that we have and this warfare that we're dealing with. I pray you'd help. Lord, keep us in unity. Bless our night tonight. We love you and we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen.